pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the word, and we pray that by the Spirit we will hear the word, and we will respond to the word's call in our lives, and to be obedient to that call. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to thinking that there are a number of things that we do in life in which we only get really one chance to get it right. Today, for example, I have one chance to deliver the message that God has laid on my heart this week. This is it right now. This is the one chance I get. But I was wondering this last week, what if, after I finished preaching my sermon this morning, I were to say to you, friends, I think I could do it better the second time around. I mean, why don't you all stick around for another 30 minutes after church today, uh, because I'm sure you'll really enjoy this sermon so much more the second time. How well do you think that idea would go over? I wonder how many people would stay to give me a second chance. Well, I thought, well, surely my wife would, but since we only live about a half a block away, maybe not even her. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because pretty much everyone expects me to get it right the first time. And, of course, I don't blame you for expecting me to get it right the first time. But that takes me back, again, to this point of second chances. There are many situations in life where we have really only one chance, and even if you need a second chance, it's just not available. You got one shot, you blow it, that's all there is to it. I mean, this is the way it is in many areas of life, and there's nothing that can change that. I can remember back in high school, in a basketball game, being fouled at the end of the game, having two shots, we trailed by one, and there was no time remaining on the clock. And I went up and promptly missed both free throws. I didn't get a second. I just said, well, well, give me another couple of tries, would you? You know, the game was over when that last free throw bounced around that rim. But see, the good news is that when it comes to God... We always get a second chance. We don't deserve it, but we get it. Now, there's a story in the Bible, it's part of what Nancy read to you a little bit ago, uh, that illustrates this truth. <clears throat> you no doubt have heard the story of Jonah and the big fish ever since you were a little kid. In fact, we did a whole series on it, and hopefully you can remember some of the background. I'm going to just kind of retrace a few things for you to set it in place. You may remember that God came to the prophet Jonah and told him he wanted him to go east to the city of Nineveh, a rather ungodly place, a land full of, uh, of Gentiles. But instead, you remember that Jonah headed west. He decided to go to Tarshish, which was all the way across the Mediterranean in Spain. Now, you also remember that once the boat got out from shore, it was in the middle of the sea, there was a great big storm that came up, and the boat was about ready to sink. And when the sailors found out that they had some backslidden prophet on board, they were wondering what to do, and Jonah says, toss me overboard. Now, he knew he was running away from God, and 
Apparently, he decided that he would rather die than repent. So he allows himself to be thrown into the ocean. Now, I'm sure that everybody on board thought that was the end of Jonah, but God had other plans. In chapter 2 of Jonah, I remember he sends a big fish, and the big fish swallows Jonah, and then after three days in the belly of the big fish, chapter 3, verse 1, at the end of chapter 2, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I bet that was interesting. But you know, what's really interesting, I think, is the very next verse in the Bible. Because the very next verse is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. It's chapter 3, verse 1. Nancy just read it to you. It goes like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah got a second chance. He didn't deserve it, but he got it. This is how God's mercy works. This is what God does. The Bible says God's mercy is new every morning. God's new chances are new every morning. Even if we blow it the first time. And guess what? We've all blown it the first time. And some of us are pretty good blowing it the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, whatever. But we have a God who is willing to give us a second chance. This is good news because we all need second chances from time to time. Now, we're in the third week of this little series uh, called Radical Christianity. And if you can remember back in part one, we talked about how God asked us to live a radical lifestyle. Remember we talked about John the Baptist, that we should pursue a higher calling because we had a higher message. We were to live the life of a servant to other people. Last week we talked about how God calls us to live a life of radical honesty, that we are learned, supposed to hear what God has to say and then boldly share God's truth with other people. Now, this morning, we're going to examine God's radical mercy, and we're going to consider how experiencing God's mercy ought to affect not only our attitude, but how it ought to affect our attitude towards other people as well. Now, when I go back to this story of Jonah, I love this story. There's really only one way to interpret Jonah's behavior. I can summarize his behavior in two words. He sinned. Just that simple. He sinned. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. We're not really sure why Jonah didn't want to go. You know, it wasn't all that bad a place. It's not like asking God, not not like that God was asking him to go to. And I'm going to tell you that I actually left a blank here in my sermon. Because I couldn't think of a proper Tom to put in there. I will say that when I first wrote this, I apologize, but I said it couldn't be that bad a place. It's not like God was asking him to go to Falk. Uh, but then I realized I know people. And I thought, let's see, do I know any people in Redwater? You know, but do I know any people in Hooks? I'm sorry, where's Wayne at? Um, so you can plug in your own place. I mean, Nineveh wasn't that bad. I mean, after all, God wasn't sending him to, and you fill in the blank. 
regardless, it just boils down to the fact that Jonah did not want to do what God wanted him to do, and he ran away from God to avoid doing it. Now, in Jonah's story, again, we go back and we learn this, this truth we've learned our whole life, and, and that's that God could have given up on Jonah. Some may even say God should have given up on Jonah. But remember, God's mercy knew every morning. He was merciful to Jonah, and he gave Jonah a second chance. And so when I read this story again, and I think about it, the story of Jonah teaches us that God's mercy is greater than our sin, and there are simply some things that our sin cannot change. I mean, think about that for a moment. There are simply some things about our sin that cannot change God's mercy. See, it's in God's nature. It's just who he is to give a second chance. I mean, nothing can change that. God forgives. God lets you try again. I mean, your boss may never give you a second chance. Your coach may never give you a second chance. Your spouse may never give you a second chance. Your parents may never give you a second chance. Your boyfriend or girlfriend may never give you a second chance. But God always will. God is the God of second chances. His mercy is greater than your sin. Now, we tend to think in human terms. Why? We're human. We make a mistake, and when we've blown it, we think that not only can't other people use this again, but sometimes we even think God couldn't possibly use it again, use us again. Now, if you've ever blown it once, and I would suggest that probably most of us have in one way or another, one relationship or another, one experience or another, if you've blown it once, it doesn't mean that you've blown it forever. I'm going to say it again. God's mercy is greater than your sin. He will bring you back to the place that he wants you to be. He'll forgive those sins, period. They become part of your past. And I'm going to say it again. There are some things your past sin does not change. And we're going to look at three of them pretty quickly. Here's the very first one. Your past sin does not change God's plan. I'm going to go back to the text. Verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, if you know the story well enough, God told Jonah to do the, second, the same thing in chapter 3 that he told him to do in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and preach. Those of you who are in Bible class this morning, what? It'd be, go to Nineveh, sow the seed. That's what he told him to do. I mean, Jonah's disobedience, his sin did not change God's plan for Jonah's life. I mean, Nineveh still needed to hear the word of God, and Jonah was still the guy that God wanted to share the word. So once Jonah got his, I guess his head straightened out, once he got his heart right, God was ready and able and willing to put his plan back into action. Now, again and again, you know, the Bible is such a phenomenal book. I'm in the process of, of, of completing this year the second half of reading all the way through it. And, and I've come across some just absolutely wonderful things in God's Word day after day. 
But again and again, what I see in the stories that I've read this, thus far this year in the books of Genesis and in Matthew is how God was able to use people after they committed what we would call major sins. Do you ever read the story of Abraham? Abraham tried to get his wife to commit adultery twice. That's pretty nasty stuff, isn't it? God still used Abraham. Moses committed murder. God still chose to use him. King David, he did them both. He committed adultery and then he committed murder. And God still chose to use him. All I'm saying is, Brent, you may try to run away from God at some point in your life, but once you stop running, once you kind of come to your senses, like that, that young guy, remember, in front of the pig trough, the prodigal son, it said, and when he came to his senses, when you stop running, God's plan for you, that original plan, still comes back in effect. I mean, I know plenty of men and women who have run from their responsibilities as fathers and mothers. And I'd say, if that's you, it's time to pick up where you left off and start being the parent that God called you to be. Some of you may have felt called by God at different times in your life when you were younger to serve him in a special way. And instead of pursuing that call, you kind of let your life take a different course And now it's time to pick up where you left off and pursue God's plan for you. I read about one of these this last week. It's pretty amazing. Anybody ever heard of the the band Megadeth? Thrash band Megadeth? Okay, guess what? Lead singer of Megadeth just enrolled at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Hmm. Guess what? He was born and raised into a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. Now, you would think once you're in there, once you got baptized, and once you confirmed, you'd be stuck in there, wouldn't you? Well, he chose to take his talents and not do what he felt God was calling him to do, but instead to start this thrasher band, this metal band, And I've listened to music by Megadeth. It's kind of all over the place. Most of you probably wouldn't much care for it. Many of you would not care much at all for some of the lyrics of that. But suddenly, in his 30s, he decided that perhaps following God's call would have been the right thing to do. And right now, he's taking classes at our Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. I don't know what you think about that. I think that's way cool. But I'm going to tell you something. Not everybody is happy about it. You know why? Because we got a lot of self-righteous people who populate the pews of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and Baptist churches, and Methodist churches, and Presbyterian churches, a lot of other kinds of churches. How can God use someone like that? Doesn't he know you can't have both feet in two different worlds? Well, it seems to me like he's got his feet right in one world. 
Oh, can you imagine someday some church getting him as their pastor? Why not? Can he preach the word? Does he know the word? Can he administer the sacraments? Yeah, but he was in Megadeth. Guess what? But now he's preaching mega life. Get over it. I know all kinds of stories like that. I have a friend who at the age of 16 knew that God wanted him in the ministry. But after graduating from high school, he decided to go to a Christian school. He went to Oklahoma Baptist University. And he finally decided, well, maybe he didn't want to get into the ministry because, you know, there's no money to be made in the ministry. And so he changed his major to accounting. And, you know, the next thing you know, he got out and he became a CPA. And his dream of serving God eventually drifted away. Now, you fast forward about 20 years. He had a stable life. He himself was well taken care of economically. But as he would tell you, he had no peace. He had no fulfillment. And through a series of events, he found himself, uh, his way back to God, and to his amazement, he still felt God's call on his life to pursue ministry. And today he's back in the ministry happier than ever. All I'm saying is, your past sin does not change God's plan. It's always going to be there. Here's the second thing. It does not change God's power. Jonah went to Nineveh, and he did exactly as he was told, finally. Then the word of the Lord came, blah, 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 and it says, So he did, and he went, and he preached. He proclaimed the word of God. And as a result, verse 5 says, The Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest, the king, all the way down even to the animals, if you remember, put on sackcloth. It was a sign of what? Confession and repentance. Now, just because Jonah disobeyed God doesn't mean that suddenly God's word lost all of its power. I mean, once he got back in the place God wanted him, once he began pursuing, remember point one, God's plan, he was able to experience God's power. Consider another example from the Bible. When Jesus was facing death on the cross, one of his big, bold disciples, (coughs) by the name of Peter, abandons him and leaves him all alone to die. He did that not once, not twice, but three times he abandoned him when he was asked whether he was indeed a disciple of Jesus. Each time he denied even knowing Jesus. And as Jesus was being led to his death, Peter was standing there warming his hands by a Roman soldier's fire. There's a whole sermon you could preach about that, how way too many Christians spend most of their time warming their hands by unbelievers' fire. There's probably a sermon in there somewhere. But he's warming his hands at that fire, and somebody says, you are one of them. And it says that Peter swore, and he said, I don't know the man. And Evidently, Jesus overheard that denial because in Luke 22, it said that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, I don't know what that was like. I don't know what Jesus' look was, but when Jesus is being walking away and he turns and he looks and he sees Peter, and Peter says, I don't know the man, and Peter sees that. We do know what Peter did. The Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. 
Now, some people say, some follower of Jesus he was. He runs away from Jesus when Jesus needs him the most. Peter was supposed to be the leader. Peter was the guy who was doing all the talking. And now look at the example that Peter set. A denier, a three-time denier. I mean, what a major offense. Now, it wasn't like Peter got, his, got caught with his hand in the offering plate. It wasn't like Peter got caught coming out of an X-rated movie or something. Peter committed the worst sin imaginable, at least humanly speaking, when he called down curses on himself and denied having anything to do with Jesus. Now, you might say, humanly speaking, how could that guy ever have any credibility ever again? How could you ever expect God's power to be used again? How could you ever expect anything out of now what is kind of like a washed-up Christian? Maybe he's going to be banished to some sort of spiritual exile, never to be heard from or seen again. And yet, what happens? After Peter denies Jesus... When he confessed that sin and repented, God's plan was still there. And he suddenly began to experience the power of God in his life in a dramatic way. Let me give you a couple examples. Pentecost. Peter, after denying Jesus, comes up and testifies to Jesus. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. A few days later, later as Peter is walking up to the temple... Uh, there's a crippled man uh, who says, in the name of Jesus Christ, help me. And so Peter, or he's asking for money, and Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. He reaches down and grabs this crippled man by the hand, but he says, but in the name of Jesus, I say, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. I mean, the power of God was so evident in Peter's life that the Bible says that people brought sick people to where P- Peter walked so that at least the people could walk through Peter's shadow and be healed. You ever hear that one before? That's in Acts chapter 5. Peter would walk down the street and they couldn't get closer, so they'd bring a person to walk through Peter's shadow. And the power of God was so strong in him that even his shadow, or take a hanky and throw it out and people through that would be healed. See, Peter's sin did not change God's power. When Peter got back on track, he was able again to experience all of that power in his life. It's the same way with Jonah, same way with Abraham, same way with Moses, same way with David. Even the same in your life, Gage. Same in my life. We get on track, we do what God wants us, God's power works in us. Believe that? Good. See, just because you fail in some area, I, I don't know what it is. Failed in marriage, failed in life, failed in parenting. You, you name it. Failed in your job. You failed when it came to following God's call. It doesn't mean that you've forever lost the ability to experience the power of God. I mean, God's mercy, I'll say it again, God's mercy is greater than what? Than your sin. Here's the third thing. Your past sin cannot change God's promises. Nineveh was a sinful city. Nineveh was a city so bad that God was ready to destroy this city, and yet he was even willing to give that city a second chance as well. 
He sent Jonah with a promise. He said, if you repent, your city won't be destroyed. Now, you all probably remember what happened. This was verse 10 in our reading today. When God saw what they did, repent, and how they turned, which is what repentance means, he had compassion on them, and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So there's God's promise one more time. If you repent, so you're going the wrong way, and all of a sudden, whoa, this is the wrong way in life. I'm sorry. I now turn around and I go the other direction. I change my thinking. I change my direction. I'm repenting. When that happens, you're saved, and nothing can change that. So when Jonah preaches repentance, the people repented. They were saved from certain destruction. And amazingly, if you remember, this really ticked Jonah off. Remember, Jonah was really angry about it. I mean, when he went through and said, repent or die, I bet you he was thinking, oh man, I can't wait till you guys die. He was waiting for fire to rain down on that city, provided he could be outside the city sitting on a hill and watch it. But instead of a fire destroying it, the Holy Spirit's fire turned Nineveh into a great big revival meeting. And you remember something? Jonah didn't think that was fair. He got mad. He tossed himself a personal little pity party. He got mad at God for showing the same mercy to Nineveh that God had just shown to him a little bit earlier. I mean, Jonah didn't argue with God when he was forgiven, but he was madder than Hobbes when he found out that Nineveh was forgiven. Why? It's something that's called self-righteousness. I mean, there are some people who think other people's sins are worse than their own. Can you believe that? Or are you guilty of that? There are some people who think, well, I deserve to be given a second chance, but not that person. It's kind of like people who are bent out of shape that somebody can come from a background like Megadeth and suddenly become pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. They're self-righteous. In chapter 4, if you remember, go back and read it this afternoon, God deals with that sin of self-righteousness, remember, in Jonah's life. In spite of Jonah's sin, though, God's promise remains the same. If you repent, change your thinking, change your direction, you'll be forgiven. This applies to everybody. God does not show favoritism. Now, there may be times in your life when you, you feel beaten down. And you would honestly say to yourself, I'm not even sure that I deserve to be forgiven. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I've felt that way already in my life. I, I was kind of at a low ebb in my life at one point. And, and I had this dumb idea, and it's, it's stinking thinking, that I wasn't so sure that God was able to forgive. And it was in a Bible passage of all things where I saw it where it said that God is no respecter of persons. I wish I could remember where that passage is in the Bible, but no respecter of persons. It's in the King James. And I thought, who am I to think that I could actually come up with a sin so big that my God couldn't forgive it? 
Isn't that the height of self-righteousness, to think that you could come up with a sin so big that God couldn't forgive it? Oh, man. Wow. But, again, God's promise is true. If you repent, you will be forgiven. Now, there may be other times when you get a little full of yourself. I don't know, maybe this is not you, maybe it's just me, but... Uh, you start thinking, well, so-and-so is a whole lot worse than me. I mean, they don't deserve as much of God's mercy. They don't really deserve to be forgiven. I mean, I've heard other people say, well, I'm never going to forget and I'm never going to forgive. Wow. A little self-righteousness there. Remember what God does? God forgives and God forgets. And God asks us to do the same with other people. Don't we pray that? We're going to pray it this morning. And forgive us our sins in the manner in which we forgive other people, is what it says. See, in those times of self-righteousness, when they creep up in our lives, and guess what, friends? Self-righteousness creeps up in everybody's life from time to time. We need to remember that God's promise is just as true for other people as it is for us. I mean, if other people repent, they'll be forgiven. If we repent, we will be forgiven. Sin does not change God's promise. It's as true today as it ever was. Now, there are a whole bunch of lessons you can learn from Jonah. I mean, one is that if you try to run away from God, you're going to end up in the belly of a fish. Uh, not Not a pretty deal. Uh, And it's as true today as it ever was. You run away from God, you end up in some pretty messy places. Another lesson you can learn from Jonah is that when you run away from God, God will do whatever whatever he has to do to bring you back. And that may may actually be involved being puked up by a fish on the dry land. Again, not a particularly pleasant experience. I mean, you'd be a whole lot better off not running. I mean, another lesson you could learn from Jonah is that even if you run away from God, and I hope you never have, and I hope you never will, but even if you would choose to run away from God, that doesn't mean that God is finished with you. When you're ready to stop running, God will help you pick up right where you left off. Why? I'll say it again. God's mercy is greater than your sin. God's mercy is not based on what we deserve to receive. It's based on what God is willing to give us. That's why it's called radical mercy. When you repent, change your way of thinking, change your direction in life, your sin is forgiven, and those sins become part of your past life. And what did I just tell you? Past sins cannot prevent you from pursuing God's plan for your life. Past sins cannot prevent you from experiencing God's power in your life. Past sins cannot prevent you from the benefits of God's promises in your life. So friends, if you've ever run from God, if you are even right now considering running away from God, I want you to listen very closely to me. The Word of God is coming to you the second time. And I would hope you would hear it and respond with your heart.
Let's pray. Father, we do need to be reminded, because as sinful human beings, we sometimes think our sins are greater than your ability to forgive. Sometimes we feel that our sins are not as bad as certain other sins, or that our life is not as bad as other people, and we kind of play that comparison game, that blame game. But help us to remember your radical mercy, that when we repent, when other people repent, when nations repent, sin is forgiven, and those sins become part of the past, and those past sins cannot prevent us from pursuing your plans. They cannot prevent us from experiencing your power or receiving the benefits of your promises in our life. We thank you for your radical mercy, your mercy shown each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.